In my last episode, I talked all about grace. Grace is God's unearned favor. And we can have favor with God because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. If you didn't have a chance to check out that podcast, please check it out. It's episode one, Grace in Which We Stand. You cannot work for grace. You cannot be worthy of God's grace. The Bible says we only receive it through faith. As Christians, everything we receive from God is by grace. We don't earn our place in God's family. Works don't keep you saved. Your Christianity, your identity, is not defined by what you do. You are one of God's children because of grace. And that never changes. So if we receive grace through faith, then we need to understand what faith is. Faith is one of those words that we either misunderstand or undervalue. So what is faith? How do we receive faith? What does it mean to live by faith? Let's see what the Bible has to say. I'm Adam Casalino, and this is the Gospel Talker Podcast. When I was a kid, the movie Batman Returns hit theaters. And above all else, I wanted to see this movie. So my sister and I begged our mom to take us one Saturday afternoon. And to our shock, she said yes. You have to understand that as a single mom raising three kids, she didn't have a lot of time or money. So when she said she would take us to see a movie, unplanned and on a whim, that was a big deal. I remember running into our living room, holding my Batman toy into the sky triumphantly. My excitement was electric. My mom promised to take us to see the movie, and I was filled with hope. So what does that have to do with faith in God? Faith is one of those things the world just doesn't understand. And sadly, the same thing can be said of many Christians. We think faith is some kind of mystical force. You can't really explain it. It's either there or it isn't. Now, the world actually seems to despise faith. They often call it blind faith. They think faith is nothing more than some elusive feeling. You have to be uneducated to live by faith, right? Smart people only trust what can be studied or verified. They don't need faith. Faith is for the ignorant. And others reduce faith into merely simply agreeing with a statement or a fact. But faith is much more than that. It's not imaginary, it's not a feeling, and it's not purely mental. And it's not blind faith. Our faith isn't in something we can't know about or understand. Faith, according to the Bible, is vitally important. Without faith, we cannot know or please God. So we better first define what it is. Let's first clarify what faith is not. Faith is not merely agreeing with facts from the Bible. Simply saying you believe in God is not true faith. That's what we call mental assent. That's no different than reading a book about George Washington and saying, oh yeah, I believe George Washington existed and did this or that. Anyone can read the Bible and agree with what it says. Even Satan knows the Bible is true, and he tried to quote parts of it to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. 
James wrote that demons believe that God is one and tremble. Faith is not merely a believing there is a God. So what is faith? Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us what faith is. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, so what does that mean? How can faith, something we cannot see, be called substance? Well, substance, as you probably know, refers to something real, something material, something you could touch, handle, even measure. And the word evidence is used in legal settings and in science. Evidence is what lawyers use to prove or disprove a case, showing it to the judge and the jury, you know, this is evidence, exhibit A, right? And in scientific settings, evidence is studied and measured and observed. So in what way is faith substance or evidence? The writer of Hebrews points to something very specific, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Someone who has faith in God, what we call saving faith, is hoping for something from God. Hope is a confident expectation that something good is going to happen to you. You don't hope for bad things. You don't hope that you'll get sick or lose your job or go through a hard time. That's actually called despair. You always hope in something good. So when the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, it means that someone who has faith in God is expecting something good from him. Remember my story. I had hope that my sister and I were going to see the Batman movie. I was confident that was going to happen. So much so that I got very excited. I had that confidence because our mom made us a promise. Hope exists because of a promise. When you were a kid and your dad came to you and he said, After school, tomorrow, I'm going to take you for some ice cream. You would have hope. The hope was that, yes, after school, you were going to get some ice cream. Why do you have that kind of hope? Because you believed your father. This is faith, trusting in a person or a thing. It's not merely agreeing with facts. It's actually having confidence that someone's going to do what they said they're going to do. In that sense, you're depending on them to come through for you. Can you see how this is very different with what the world thinks faith is? Anyone can look at the Bible and go, yeah, that's a true story. But it's very different to look what the Bible says and say, I personally am trusting Jesus Christ to save me. That goes beyond just believing that there was a man named Jesus who lived on the earth. Faith requires you putting your trust in Jesus, which means you have to believe he not only died, but rose again, because you can't put your faith in a dead person. And you are believing that because he's alive, he will forgive you of all your sins when you simply ask him to. But why should you trust someone in the first place? Why would you believe that Jesus is going to do all that he said he's going to do to the point that you have hope? Because you believe the promise maker is faithful. That what he said is true because he is true. So faith in God as a Christian is not believing a set of doctrines or statements. 
You may think that's what it means to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian, or you grew up in a church and it was all ritual and ceremonies, you might think being a Christian means there's this list of things we believe, and then we disagree with that. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is believing in a person, the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he has character such that he will do what he said he would do. Now, in the case of my sister and I, our hopes were dashed. On the same day we were going to see the movie, our mom was trying to buy plane tickets for our summer trip to Florida. The travel agent she normally used was not available, so we had to drive all over the city to find someone who could get us a deal. And that took so long that we didn't have time to go see the movie. As you can imagine, what was once this electric hope in me turned into complete disappointment. People, no matter how well-meaning, can let us down. Our mom wanted to take us to the movie, but circumstances worked against us. And you probably experienced this many times in your life. A parent or a friend or a teacher promised you something, and you got your hopes up. But unfortunately, they didn't end up doing what they said they would do, either because they couldn't or maybe they just were lying. And you were probably crushed too. This is a pretty common reason why people struggle to trust God. They've been let down so many times before by people, they wrongly assume God is the same way. And that's why people often say, I'll believe it when I see it. They're not willing to believe in something they don't see, because in the past they did believe in a promise and were let down. So now they've built up a wall around their heart so they won't get hurt again and they refuse to trust in something they can't put their hand to. That's why so many people in our world trust in money. Because in their minds, they think money will never fail them, as long as they have enough of it. But money fails us all the time. Because as fast as it comes into our hands, as we all know, the faster it leaves them. And people have put their faith in careers, in countries, in possessions, in politics, anything and everything they thought could not fail them. But guess what? All of those things have and will continue to fail us. There's only one person who is worthy of our trust, our faith, our belief. Jesus Christ. Faith in God is so special, so powerful, and so life-changing because God is the one who will never fail you. Now, if you studied the Bible, you probably read about Abraham a time or two. His life is recorded in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, but he's talked about a lot in the New Testament, especially by the Apostle Paul. Abraham is called the father of our faith. In fact, the Bible says Abraham was righteous, which means he was approved and accepted by God because of his faith. He didn't earn God's approval. He wasn't righteous because he perfectly did everything God told him to do. He was called righteous by God. He was even called God's friend by God himself because he believed in God. But what was he believing in God for? As we see, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So Abraham needed to have something to hope for from God, right? Well, God speaks to Abraham and gives him quite a few promises. Among them were that God was going to make Abraham the father of many nations. Not just one nation, but many. 
and through his descendants, all nations on earth would be blessed. Now that promise is specifically referring to Jesus Christ, who was born to the nation of Israel, the main descendants of Abraham. And all the earth is blessed by Jesus Christ because he died for our sins and rose again. And when we trust in Jesus, we receive quite a few blessings that include forgiveness of sins, eternal life, fellowship with God, and much more. So these are some pretty good promises, right? But all the promises God made Abraham hinged on one thing. He and his wife had to have a son. Now that was a big problem because they were too old to have a baby. And on top of that, Sarah had never been able to conceive. In order for all of God's promises to Abraham to, to come true, this one thing had to happen. And it was the hardest thing of all to happen. Now, this is another important thing we need to know about faith. Christians often think walking by faith means obeying what the Bible says. In other words, doing what it says. We think faith means doing something ourselves in our own ability or power out of obedience to God. As if God won't help us unless we do this or that. With that mindset, if we were in Abraham's shoes, we would have wrongly assumed God would only fulfill all those promises as long as we figured out how to have a child. But that's not how faith works. If you have faith in God, it means you are trusting Him to accomplish the work, not yourself. And that was the case with Abraham, because he was unable to have, his, have a son himself. But God promised, among all those other promises, that he would have a son with Sarah, even though it was impossible. So Abraham was faced with this choice. He could focus on his physical conditions, his limitations, and use that as a reason to reject what this God had told him. Or he could reject his earthly limitations, stop focusing on them, and trust that God can do anything. So what did Abraham end up doing? Paul explains this in great detail in Romans 4, 18-22. Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he would become the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is faith fully explained, better than I could do it. God made Abraham a promise. He and Sarah would have a son. Abraham's circumstances told him it was impossible. But Abraham was not considering his own limitations. He didn't let those limitations discourage him. He wasn't basing his future on what he could do in his own power. Instead, he looked to God because he was convinced that God, who promised him these many wonderful things, was also able to do them. That is faith. Faith means we are trusting in the promises of God. And those are the promises that produce hope. Without hope, there is no faith. Without faith, you are unable to hope. If you say you believe in Jesus Christ, it means you are hoping for something from Him. Many somethings, in fact. 
Believing in Jesus doesn't mean you're trying to please God by works. Jesus died for me, so I better make it up to him, right? No, believing in Jesus means you are trusting him. As we've already learned, faith is a dependence on someone else, relying on them, their ability to make good on the promises they made us. And like we saw with Abraham, that requires us to not believe in what we see, our own ability to get things done, or what the world tells us is real. Instead, we are looking to what the Word of God has said to us, even if it doesn't seem like it's possible, because the one who promised us is also able to perform. So we see God made Abraham quite a few promises. But what about us? If faith is based on hope and hope comes from promises, can we say that our faith in God is based on promises? Well, that's exactly what Peter says. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-4, through 4, he writes, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and virtue, by which he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So through Jesus, we have exceedingly great and precious promises. Not just a few promises, not just a few okay promises, but exceedingly great and precious promises. And by these promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. Did you catch that? We don't partake of the divine nature because of our works, what we do. You know, I go to church, now I can get something from God. We don't become sons and daughters of God because we work so hard and earned his approval. We don't receive the divine nature, which includes his life, his love, his wisdom, his power, through our effort, but through exceedingly great and precious promises. That is how we receive his divine nature, the life of God poured out into our lives. And about these promises, where are they? Where are in the Bible? Well, if you begin to look for God's promises in the Word, they begin to jump out at you. You'll begin to realize so much of Scripture that we quote and we read and we study are in fact promises God has made to us. Faith in Christ means we believe He's going to make good on those promises. Because we are good enough? <laughs> of course not. Because we deserve it? No. But because Jesus Christ died for our sins, and he rose again, because he is faithful no matter what. Okay, so if we agree that faith is hoping in the promises of God, where do we get this faith to begin with? Where does it come from? Well, depending on your church tradition, they may have different things to say. But the Bible is pretty clear. If faith is the substance of hope, and hope is produced by the promises God gives us, then our faith is dependent on the promises of God. So if you want faith in God, you first have to know what he's promised you, right? So Paul explains it this way in Romans 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. You can't trust in the promises of God unless you know them. That's not a complicated thing to say. But how can someone go from being a sinner whose heart is hardened against God 
to a forgiven saint, a child of God? How do we even want to believe in what the Bible says? Well, when we're spiritually dead in our sins, we can't do that ourselves. It's something that God does inside of us. It's actually the Word of God that brings this kind of life so that we can believe. Jesus describes God's Word as a seed. And Peter says that too in 1 Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 23. You have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. The New Testament describes this phenomenon in a variety of ways. Being born again, being saved. It's a process called regeneration. So at one time, all of us are spiritually dead. That meant not only did we sin, but we loved to sin. The idea of knowing God didn't appeal to us at all, even though deep down inside, we knew we were wrong. But somewhere along the line, because God loved us so much, we heard the good news of Jesus Christ, that the Son of God came down, died for our sins, and three days later he rose again. And anyone who believes in Jesus, asking him to forgive them, will be forgiven of their sins. The moment you believe that, something changed inside of you. That word of Christ, the gospel, is like a seed that sunk down deep into your heart, and it bursts forth like a tree of life, changing you from the inside out. You are immediately saved, no longer dead. In fact, the Bible says your dead spirit was removed, and you received a new spirit. Now, within that spirit dwells the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit who gave you this faith, your new spirit, and even a new heart. And the heart is your human mind and emotions. Even that was changed from a hard heart to a soft heart. From that moment forward, you are a born-again, forgiven child of God who will live forever with Him. When you physically die, you'll go to heaven. And when Jesus returns to the earth, you will live with Him in a new body. All of this happened the moment you believed. And you were able to believe in the first place because you heard the good news. That very good news is what changed your heart so you could believe. Not everyone who hears the good news will believe. We know this. And Jesus described this in the Gospels in the parable of the soils. There are some people who reject the good news when they hear it. Because it is God who opens our heart to believe. You hear the Gospel Suddenly you realize that it's true, and then you take that step of faith. But he's the one who revealed the truth to you and embraces you the moment you believe. If you're hearing this right now and you don't believe in Jesus, the solution is simple. Faith is not complicated, even though it is so profound. Paul goes on to describe faith, again in Romans 10, verses 8 through 10, that the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. All you have to do to be saved is ask Jesus Christ to forgive you. Confessing with your mouth means to speak from your heart, to say something sincerely. That could be with your literal mouth, or it could be a silent prayer to God. Paul goes on to write, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you have to do is call to Jesus, asking him to save you, and he will. That is the leap of faith we all make. When I was a child, I did not believe in God, even though I grew up in church. 
Now, many people who grow up in a Christian home and go to church usually believe in Jesus at a pretty early age. I did not. I went to church. I knew about the Bible. I had family and friends who believed. If you had asked me, I would have even told you that I was a Christian because of all these things. But in my heart, there was no faith in God. I loved the things of this world, and I didn't love God at all. It wasn't until I was 15 years old that the weight of my sinful thoughts and desires finally caught up with me. I was at a youth summer camp, and during the worship time at the first service, I fessed up to God. I knew my sin was too much for me to deal with, and silently in my heart, I asked Jesus to forgive me and come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I took that leap of faith, asking Jesus to save me like he saved so many others, and in that instance, I was changed. It was as if a switch was flipped inside of me. Jesus was suddenly real. I knew him and he knew me. My life was completely different from that day forward. Now, not everyone's story will be exactly like mine, but the same thing will happen. By asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins, we are stepping out in faith. And he catches us the moment we do. I couldn't do that myself. I had to hear the good news. And then the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see my need for Jesus. And with that glimmer of faith and hope, I called to him. If you've never done that before, and you know that you're not saved, all you have to do is ask Jesus to forgive you. Confess from your heart, Jesus is Lord and God, that he is alive. But again, what promises are we talking about in this moment of asking Jesus to forgive you? Like I said, if faith comes from promises, which promise means that when we ask Jesus to forgive us, he will? Well, the greatest promise God made to us is in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you see the promise? God sent his Son so that we will not die but live forever. Faith is is depending on that promise. And Jesus repeatedly gave us promises like this in the Bible. He says it this way in John 11, 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though they may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. These are some of those exceedingly great and precious promises Peter was talking about. When we ask Jesus to forgive us, we are hoping in the promise that he will forgive us. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In reality, the Bible is crammed with promises from God. From cover to cover, you won't get far until you read another promise God has made us. And here's the real showstopper. Every promise you read in the Bible is for you. Why do I say that? Because Paul said that himself. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. So how is faith and grace connected? In my last episode, I said we are standing in grace. All these promises, God will fulfill them because of grace. We don't earn God's help. And God's not going to fulfill a promise because we've done something to get his approval. Instead, he's showing us unearned favor or grace because of what Jesus has done for us. 
In reality, grace is a person. Jesus himself is the living embodiment of grace. He came so that we might have grace upon grace. When we study the person of Christ in the Gospels, we see one who was constantly showing the world kindness they did not deserve. He doesn't just provide us with grace, he is grace. Grace and faith, then, are interconnected. Having faith in Jesus means we are trusting that he will do what he's promised to do. And we know he will fulfill every promise because of grace. That's why they are promises. Think about it. We don't work for a promise. A promise is a gift. If you have to work to receive something, there's no need for a promise. Now, if you have a job, chances are you signed some kind of contract or agreement before you started working. And in that agreement, it's written in black and white why that company is going to give you a paycheck. Is it a promise? Does your company promise you a paycheck? No, you have to work for it. You earn that paycheck. It's not a gift. In fact, if your company fails to send you a paycheck, you have reason to go after them. That's because your paycheck is what we call a wage. You have to earn it or work for it. There are no promises involved because an agreement states that you will do this or that and the, comp- the company will compensate you with money. But that's not grace. Grace is unearned favor from God. You can't work for it. God is promising you many things and he will do them because of this grace, not your efforts. And that's why it requires faith. You see, work doesn't require faith. Even the Old Testament law Paul writes, isn't of faith. Well, why is that? Well, when you are working for something, the results depend entirely on you. If you do your end, you get paid. If you fail to do your end, you won't get paid. It's as simple as that. So if we think we need to work to get something from God, where are we placing our faith? Not in God, but in our ability to do what we think we need to do to get from God. Do you see the difference? Faith means we are dependent on God to take care of us. And we can be confident he's going to take care of us because his grace does not run out. It can't because it's being provided to us by Jesus who is alive forevermore. Now you can see why so many people in the world refuse to believe in God because they lose control over their lives. It's a big risk to trust someone, especially someone you cannot see. To be a Christian requires that you no longer trust in yourself. When you trust in yourself or your own abilities, you convince yourself that you are the boss. You get to make up the rules. You get to live as you please. But if you turn to God to forgive you, accepting the fact that you are a sinner and you need Jesus, you are giving up control over your life. Now listen, you never really had control to begin with. Nobody is a master of their destiny. I don't care how powerful or rich or impressive you are, You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. And which one do you think is a better father? Now, even some Christians struggle with this. They think they are saved by grace, but now, as Christians, it's all about what they do. Some think this because they are afraid. They're worried that unless they follow strict rules, they will fall back into sin. Even some pastors preach like this because they think if they teach grace as the Bible teaches it, They will encourage people to sin. But grace means receiving good things from God through faith. So how can you receive anything from God that would lead you to sin? 
Grace is the power that overcomes sin and temptation. You don't have that power in yourself. It only comes from Christ. So knowing you are truly forgiven, that you don't have to work to earn God's approval, frees you to live for him. But if you think God is going to get you if you mess up, or if you think you have to maintain his approval with your good works, then you're living under a huge burden. And guess what? That burden will lead to more sin and failure. And there are Christians, yes, who reject this truth about grace and faith because they want to be in charge of their lives. There are some Christians who say they're being obedient to God, but they're rejecting grace, they're undermining faith because of pride. They'll say things like, I'm doing this for God. I'm sacrificing for the Lord. I'm picking up my cross. But what they really mean is they're working in some way to prove or earn God's approval. If we want God to receive all the glory, then he has to do all the work. Faith means depending on God's provision for our lives, not taking credit for how righteous and obedient and faithful we are, because none of us are. Only he is faithful. Serving God comes second to depending on his provision. We can't serve God in our own strength, and God doesn't need our talents or abilities. What he wants from us is dependence. Once we figure that out, he could mold us into the people he wants us to be. So we've been covering faith and defining it based on what the Bible says. The Bible also says that faith is not just this one-time thing. We are to live by faith. In fact, it says we are to walk by faith. And the term walk in the Bible is often used figuratively to describe our day-to-day life. So walking by faith means we live day by day in faith. Again, some interpret that to mean works. If we walk by faith in their mind, that means we have to obey what the Bible tells us to do. And their emphasis is on their responsibility towards God, not on what God is doing for them. And this is how many churches teach it. To walk by faith means doing what the Bible says. But we just learned faith is not doing, but depending on God's grace. To rest easy knowing he's given us exceedingly great and precious promises that he's going to fulfill. Not because of what we do, but because he has given us unearned favor in Jesus. So what does walking by faith day by day actually look like? Walking by faith means daily receiving grace from God. Our priority as Christians is not to work, but to enjoy fellowship with our Heavenly Father. That is the only way we can, in time, become fruitful with good works. There are many passages in the Bible that explain this reality. That when we are daily receiving from God through fellowship with Him in word and spirit, that He changes us into the people He wants us to be. And those changed people resemble Christ. And those changed people will be filled with love and a desire to glorify God through their works. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is a good verse to memorize, to highlight, to underline in your Bibles. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So if you want to be full of good works, 
If you want to be like Jesus, it doesn't come by what you do. It comes by beholding the glory of the Lord. Notice what he said there. We behold the glory of the Lord and we are being changed into that same image. He didn't say we become more like Jesus through our works, effort, or striving. Not one drop of your blood, sweat, or tears is going to make you more like Christ. But spending time with Jesus will make you more like him. Beholding his glory will change you. And we behold his glory when we fellowship with him in the word and by the Holy Spirit. Here's a story from the Gospels that illustrates this so well. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to come and help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Most Christians are like Martha. They think walking by faith or serving the Lord means busyness. They're spinning their wheels trying to do for God, thinking that Jesus needs their blood, sweat, and tears. We actually convince ourselves that good Christians are those who put themselves into a frenzy trying to serve God. As if that is what God is demanding from us. Sacrifice your peace, sanity, and well-being to prove to Christ how much you love him. Martha didn't even realize she was neglecting the very reason Jesus came to her house. Why did Jesus visit Martha and Mary? To get a meal from them? Of course not. He wanted to spend time with them so they could learn from him. Jesus wasn't interested in Martha spinning her wheels to make him a meal. This was the one who turned water into wine, who multiplied the loaves and the fishes. Does he really need Martha to make a meal for him? No, instead he's come to feed us. Jesus wanted both Martha and Mary to sit close by and enjoy his company and hear what he had to say. Because you can't spend time with Jesus and not be changed. And change in ways you cannot even begin to imagine. You see, outwardly it looked as if Mary was doing nothing. But Jesus said only one thing was needed, and Mary got it. Her sister missed this because she thought following Christ meant doing, when in reality it means receiving from Him. But many of us are like Martha, and we condemn Christians who put hearing Jesus first. We get upset when the Bible teaches us to rest, to stop striving, to come and sit at Jesus' feet. But when we do prioritize hearing Jesus, we draw from him. We receive his grace, and with it his love, his peace, his provision, everything we need. It might not seem productive in the moment, but you are not saved to be a worker bee. You were created and saved so you can fellowship with your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. And that is how we walk by faith. That is how our faith grows. If faith comes by hearing the word of Christ, then it grows when we feed on the word of Christ. You see, Jesus is fully capable of taking care of all your needs, big or small, that you thought you needed to take care of. He holds the entire universe together. Don't you think he could take care of your life, your family's lives, and everything else? 
Now, this doesn't mean a life of inactivity, but a life where knowing Christ comes first. Then and only then, we can serve. The truth is, when we draw from Jesus daily, we are in the best position to serve, because we won't be serving from the mindset of, I have to do this or else. Instead, you'll be serving from the abundance that Jesus has poured into you. You will serve because you want to serve, not because you have to serve. And you'll be able to love others because you're overflowing with God's love for you. This is the real Christian life. Not one of doing, but one of receiving. Not one of laboring, but one of resting. Not one of striving, but one of beholding. This is what it means to walk by faith. When you make it your goal each day to see Jesus in the Word and to fellowship with Him through prayer and worship and meditation, He will change you. You'll become more like Him, and everything you need to do each day will be provided for through His grace. The Gospel Talker podcast is written and produced by Adam Casalino. Visit us online at gospeltalker.substack.com.